Hello fellow time travelers, Tony Witt here. Before we get started with the newest episode, a few shout-outs to our fellow Doctor Who-oriented podcasts. One goes to DW Target Files, which can be found on Twitter at DW Target Files, all one word. They cover the vast panoply of Target books, except they haven't taken on the crazy task of going in story order like we have. And DW Don't Blink, great name which can also be found on Twitter at DWDon'tBlink. There's no apostrophe in don't, and it's an underscore between don't and blink. They look at various episodes of the series from the perspectives of a classic series fan and a new series fan. And finally, a shout-out to whovianleap.com, where you can find various and interesting, exciting posts about the show we all love. As for this episode, two things. One, I apologize for the sound levels, but Sheena's voice was not being picked up on mic so well this time, and normally we have a secondary mic set up, but we didn't this time, so sorry, Sheena, I did my best. And two, not only will Sheena's dog be making a guest appearance, but so will Dalton's milk duds. You'll hear them. That being said, let's set the Wayback Machine for post-revolutionary France and the Reign of Terror, Enjoy the beheadings, I guess. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club the podcast in which we undertake the elephantine task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I've been coming up with different adjectives. Mm -hmm. My name is Tony Witt, and today we again have our three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. There's also our intermediate-level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time it's none other than Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello, hello. And finally, we welcome back the novice <coughs> fan, though not so novice anymore, who has seen little to none of the original series and has previously read only a few of the books, the always lovely Sheena Annapara. Hello, Hello, Sheena. Hi. Hi. No, just, I just, I'm wondering at this point, have you watched any of the series yet? Now that we're no. eight in. I mean, I, not of, none of the old ones. Yeah. I watched, I watched some of the newer stuff, but. We still need to do the pizza party. Yeah. I we I, still need to I do this. I wanted to actually watch this one. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I think this one would be really good to see to on screen. Watch. Seriously? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Having read it and not seen it, <laughs> yeah. it well, looks... It's, it seems like it could be interesting. It seems like it would be an interesting visual tale. Then I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to tell you straight. some things <laughs> about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, we may want to tell our listeners which one we're talking about. In this episode, we're discussing the novelization of the eighth Doctor Who story, The Reign of Terror. And the last episode of that first full season. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who, The Reign of Terror, adapted by Ian Martyr from the script by Dennis Spooner that aired from 8864 to 91264, published by Target Books in 1987. As of this recording in April of 2017, this title is currently out of print, 160 pages. Ah, well, here's the thing about Reign of Terror, which some of our listeners will know, some will not. Reign of Terror is one of those Hartnell stories that has episodes missing. It's not completely missing like Marco Polo is. It's missing episodes, and now I'm going to blank out on this. It's missing episodes three and four, I believe. 
Episodes 1 and 2 exist, and Episode 6 exists. It's been released on DVD. Uh, there was an animation company that came in and animated those middle episodes that were missing. Unfortunately, the animation company did some very odd things with the animation, including doing all these weird kind of trick shots that the directors in the 60s would never have done. They made Hartnell look like a tortoise. It's really terrifying. I will, of course, show it to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. However... Reign of Terror, <laughs> I, I've already gone on record as saying I don't like historicals. Reign of Terror, I actually was playing video games during on my phone and then fell asleep during while I was watching it before reading the book. Mm. So yeah, the, the visual version is kind of, you've kind of read the best version of it, but we'll get there. Because in about four more episodes, we're going to have plenty to say about Dennis Spooner who wrote the original script, because he also wrote the Romans, and oh, that's got, that one I want to show you. <laughs> but I first want to focus on the late Ian Martyr, whom I would have done anything in this world for, because he's my first big Doctor Who crush. In fact, he was the first guy I ever saw in Doctor Who, period, because they used to show full episodes on Sunday afternoons, the, the full story, and the first story I ever saw was Terror of the Zygons, and I tuned in about halfway through episode six or something, and Ian Martyr, who was playing the companion at that point, and had I thought he was the doctor for some reason. Ian Martyr actually started his career as an actor. Not only was he a supporting character in the 1973 episode Carnival of Monsters, he also played with Doctor's first companion, besides Sarah Jane Smith, the unit doctor Harry Sullivan. And that was throughout Tom Baker's first season and a couple of episodes after that. He was also a very talented writer, though, as we can see. So much so that when he and Baker were working together, they came up with an idea for a third Doctor Who feature film called Doctor Who Meets Scratchman. <laughs> I know. In which the Doctor would fight the literal devil, Scratchman, whom they envisioned as being played by Vincent Price. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, needless to say that never happened. No. It it could have. But Martyr's aspirations for writing led him to eventually be tapped to write the novelization for Ark in Space in 1977, which is a story he actually appeared in. And the Target book tells us this happened as a result of a dinner conversation, but it didn't elaborate. Yeah, the way these guys got jobs in writing is just criminal. I would love to go to a dinner and say, hey, you want to write some books? Right yeah. place at the right time. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. that's all it takes. It's not like that anymore. No. Nope. He then did the Sontaran experiment, which follows on directly from that story. Went on to do the Ribos operation. Ribos operation. Sorry, I mispronounced that. Enemy of the World, which is a Troughton book we'll get to quite soon. Earthshock, The Dominators, The Invasion, The Reign of Terror, which of course we've read. And his final book, completed just before his untimely death from cancer in 1986, The Rescue, which we'll be reading in about three episodes. He also wrote an original novel called Harry Sullivan's War, and I'm not sure we're going to read it because even though it came out under the Target imprint, it's not a novelization and it's actually kind of sucky. So, yeah. All of this is worth bringing up for a few reasons. One, it means I don't have to talk about him as much when we get to the rescue. Mm -hmm. Two, it also makes him the only actor from the show who has ever written a full Doctor Who novel and the second most prolific Doctor Who novelizer, that's a hard word to say, at a total of nine books. 
He's second only to Terrence Dix, who we'll be reading for our next two episodes and who wrote the most. Out of 156 Target novels, how many would you guess that Terrence Dix wrote? 30. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say 40. 40 something. 64. 64 out of 140. How? 40. Out of 156 Target novels, Dix oh wrote 64. Gosh. Yeah, it was his cash cow for the longest time. So we've been lucky not to have a run of his books yet, but when we get to the 70s, <laughs> oh boy, it'll be dicks everywhere. Everywhere. I, see, I, I promised you, dick like jokes. That. Yeah, exactly. We all love dicks. We absolutely do, all three of us. Yes, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, some things to note about Ian Martyr as a writer. He likes to add gory realism to any book he writes. He's not afraid to try to slip things past the censors, as it were. We'll definitely see that with the rescue, because there is a dick joke in that. <laughs> and he's pretty willing to add or change things if he feels the book needs it, as we'll see in this one. And oh my god, will we ever see it in the rescue, because that's a novelization of a two-parter, and it runs about as long as this. So, you can imagine. Okay. So, I'm going to start by reading us the blurb. Since some of you may not know the story, it goes something like this. It is 1794, and the TARDIS materializes some distance away from Paris during the French Revolution, the infamous Reign of Terror. Soon the TARDIS crew find themselves caught up in the tangled web of historical events. Imprisoned in a dank dungeon where they make dank memes, Ian is entrusted with delivering a message to master spy James Sterling. Who is James Sterling? What world-shattering events are being discussed in a deserted, deserted inn off the Calais Road? And can the Doctor and his friends escape a violent and bloody death at the dreaded guillotine? Ooh. That's nope, they all die. Sorry, guys. <laughs> this is the end of Doctor Who. Spoiler alert, yeah, it only ran for one season. And then it ran for one season, they decided to kill everybody at the end. The end. <laughs> so we're even more foolish for discussing it 52 years later. Yep. Mm. Little did we know. Little did we know. All right, who who did first impressions last time? Because I'm losing Me. count. You I think did. Sheena did. Okay. So. I so. do. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Do you want to give it to Dalton this time? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as I was talking to you about uh, a little bit before, um, having some background studying history, um, European history and things like that, mm -hmm. it was nice to have like a little refresher and know that the the show was, you know, informational and educational. So I was like, they're going to have the names right and the times right and the things right. Um, yeah, I, th I feel like it totally got like this paranoia that existed during that time just like you don't know who to trust you don't yeah. know if like someone that you were friends with since childhood is going to betray you just because you know Robespierre says uh, no yeah like it, it totally was just like I don't know who is a good guy who is a bad guy who's going to turn their back on someone who's going to help them in the end um I felt it coming mm -hmm. but Whereas, like, some of the other books we've read, you immediately know, like, right off the bat, this is the bad guy. This is the person who's going to be the thorn in their side the whole time. And this one, it was like, well, it could be this guy, or it could be this guy, or it ended up being, like, multiple people. Yeah. And someone that I thought was going to be, like, the ultimate bad guy ended up being the person they were looking for the whole time. Yes. Spoilers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it really got the, the feeling of the reign of terror. So Okay. Sheena? I guess I'm totally opposite. Um, I've read, I mean, I 
when I was in college, I was a history major. One Ooh. thing I did major in was like French history, so I like know oh. nothing. I like, I mean, I know about the Reign of Terror. I don't know anybody's names. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not my. I I did more German stuff, I guess, more hmm. like war type stuff. Okay. I don't know. Um, you know, and other types of areas, but um, yeah, like I kind of knew that the one guy who you thought wasn't going to be the bad guy was the bad, good guy. Like I I knew that that was going to be what was going to happen. Yeah, it was telegraphed for um, you. Yeah, um, I'm right with you on the fact that I do not like the historical ones <laughs> at all. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I did like the writing. I did like his writing. It was very graphic. There was a lot of good, like uh, like you said, gory scenes in oh, there yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I like that. Um, but, like I said, I have no knowledge of any sort of French... I mean, I've watched Les Miserables. So, I mean, like, as constant as it gets when it comes to French for me. So, um, yeah, it was kind of like, I was like, I wanted to go read some French stuff, just so, or some revolutionary French stuff, just so I would, like, know what was going on. Right. In a sense, so. Well, the confusing thing is there are multiple French revolutions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is, like, the beginning of. The second one. The second one, so. (laughs) Kind of. It's kind of like, that's probably one of the ones that I have no idea about. Um, I know a lot of Napoleon stuff, but, um, yeah, so, I would have to say I was opposite of you, um, I kind of knew where it was going in that sense, even though it was, if, 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 I, I usually, like, try to search things out, though. Like, in my own mind, I overthink stuff, so that's mm. probably why I figured it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, the, the Colbert guy, I was like, is he good? Is he bad? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Colbert? Or Corbert? Yeah. That, Corbett? Uh, Corbett. Leon. Leon. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. Yeah, that oh, character. Yeah. Like, him and... Uh, he was one I didn't know of. But I did yeah. kind of figure since that one guy, um, I was weird as, I horrible at French also, um, that he, he like let in, he was like, you know, trying to get Ian out of the, the jail cell by calling that guy, like just the little things he did kind of right. like made me think like, oh, this guy is either trying to A, figure out what they're doing or B, he's going to be a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of how I like, that's the amount of stuff that I kind of... I erred on the side of he is trying to lure them into a trap. Yeah. He's trying or to, to get them to leave and then follow them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I didn't think this is a good guy who's yeah. realizing these are also good guys and yeah. he's trying to help them. And if that's the case, then he's kind of done his job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he, yeah, he wanted to be by himself. Well, I love that line near the end where they finally find out that he is the, the, the double agent. And yeah. he's like... Only I can betray myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought that was, that was like, that's amazing because it's true. Like, mm-hmm. he, he was the only one who knew that he was who he was. Exactly. It's also one of the, the televised series, Better Cliffhangers. Yeah? Yeah, because that's they the cliffhanger. Yeah, they end episode five right there where yeah. LeMate comes into the, the room and Barbara knows him by sight and says, Oh my God, <laughs> he's found us. Yeah. And. You think, oh Lord, they're dead for yeah. sure, and yeah. there's only one more episode in this season that's probably going to end with them getting the chop. And then uh, at the beginning of the, <laughs> at the beginning of the uh, next episode, he says, "Oh no, I'm James Sterling." It's like, oh thank God. Yeah. Whereas here, Sigh. Ian Martyr moves it to the middle of the chapter. Yeah, yeah, which is fine because I think he realized that it's, <laughs> that it's not exactly. Yeah, it's great for a televisual cliffhanger, but it it's almost too on the nose for 
a literary chapter. Yeah, I mean, when you move from one word to the next in a split second, like, it, even if it was at the end of a chapter, it's like, all right, next page. Yeah. yeah. Here we are. Cliffhanger, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ruined, but. Yeah. But, so the overall impression is Dalton seems to have liked it. Sheena did not. I'm not, I don't really like the history. I've come to the conclusion I like the sci-fi stuff. Hmm. Okay. Um, and it's not only because I have barely any knowledge of no. the French Revolution. It was just kind of like, I like sciencey stuff. I'm right I like going to you. a place where I've never been. Mm-hmm. Or not that I've been there, but you know what I mean? Like a time that's not on Earth. So yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. And I understand that because uh, um, I was a double major in English and French in college. Mm-hmm. So I had to take a course in French history. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're back to the revolution and the post-revolution and the reign of terror. And Robespierre getting shot in the jaw. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Except this book. Well, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But I really adore Ian Martyr anyway. And he's managed for me to make a very boring story into a semi-passable, decent one. So I think I'm somewhere between the two of you. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely could see how this could have turned into another Marco Polo. Yeah. Of just... And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. It was quite interesting in the way it was written, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story had a, had a lot more action going on, a lot more of... Suspense. A lot, a lot more oh, suspense. Yeah. Even if you could Fun see more. where it was going to go, oh, God, yeah. it still... Yeah. It had, it had like an aura about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, had, you got the understanding of where they were at. Yeah, and that sense of paranoia that you said pervades the book. It's yeah. yeah, it's really not on screen all that much, but it's something that we know historically about the Reign of Terror. And that's why, before we started recording, I said that uh, Ian Martyrs actually made this book more educational than the televised version was, because there are more actual facts in the book than there are on screen. Such as um, when Barbara figures out where they are and when... She does so by reading the papers and she sees the date and she realizes, oh, that's a post-revolutionary date. I know that date. It's the date a couple days before Robespierre gets it in the jaw. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, that's Babs doing her whole yeah. history teacher yeah. thing. But she doesn't do that on she doesn't do that on mm-hmm. screen. She just says, oh, we're in the midst of the well, reign of terror. Now, I guess I guess I that's know. it. The other thing that's really weird is did the French history well, I, I think I already know the answer to this. Did the French history lose you a bit? Because I find this book is written almost as if it expects its readers to already know mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah, that's a, yeah. from someone who doesn't really, I mean, like, know very yeah. much about this, I I wanted to, I, like, was fact-checking stuff. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is da-da-da. And, and then when one thing would happen, I, I actually Googled other things. Right. But, I mean, if I was in the, the 60s, I would have to Google. I'd be like an encyclopedia Britannica. Exactly. I was, I was confused about one point. Um, I think it was the doctor said something about missing the Bastille mm-hmm. or not yeah. seeing the Bastille, but then later they talk about the Bastille being there. It had been because they demolished it. Okay. I had to look that up, too, because so, I forgot Yeah, it. I was wondering about that. Like, I, I'm aware of the idea of the storming of the Bastille, but I was like... 
they mentioned it not being there, but then they also mentioned it being there. So it's yeah. like, yeah. is it kind of... still standing? Is it just now mm-hmm. rubble that yeah. you can go? If I remember correctly, by this point in history, there was the Place de la Bastille, and that was where it used to be. Okay, They'd already demolished it. Um, but yeah, that was one of those six sections I thought, wait a minute. And that doesn't happen on screen. There's no mention of it at all. And it's Ian Martyr saying, yeah, let's make this true to life and all that. Because obviously it's the Doctor's favorite period in history. He would know. We have to talk about that, though. Because you have to wonder why this is the Doctor's favorite period in history. He loves the French Revolution. It's like, is this old man sicker than we thought? I mean, seriously. I mean, it's definitely an interesting uh, psychological... That's usually what most people find interesting, though. The bloodiness of it? Yeah. I mean, most of your history is wars or I could battles say that. that happened or, yeah. I mean, when you're, well, American, when you're in school, that's mm-hmm. mostly what you're learning about are dates True. and times of wars and conflicts that happened and how they were resolved. Right. And, yeah. But he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be all that much a fan of the bloodiness. Yeah. Or the, the human loss that there is because Robespierre was... Pretty bad about guillotining, if that's a verb. Guillotining yeah, everybody the, the that. Act of the yeah, no. I hope so. I hope that's it. I'm sure our listeners will let me know. If it's not a but word, it is now. Gal- it is now. Galutinize <laughs> or something like that. Goloisnies. But uh, whatever that was. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah, we were talking about guillotining. There's a huge loss of human life there, and the doctor doesn't seem like the sort of person that would be really on board with that. Maybe he's fond of the period because it's the overthrowing of the aristocracy and we find out later he's a time lord that's you know shunned his society but the problem is no one knew that in 1964 we only knew that from well actually unearthly child remember Mm -hmm. that um susan borrows that book on the french revolution and says that isn't right and it's because she's been there with her grandfather she knows it and he makes he makes reference to it that's something else i love about ian martyr that he has Babs have this line saying, is that why you borrowed that book from us, Susan? Yeah. It's like, yeah. So I think at least he's read or, you know, is privy to the other stories before him. Yeah. Which is good. I love Which is yeah. yeah, me too. There's so many of them in Doctor Who. Like, well, you really have to be you have aware. You to be knowledgeable, obviously, to write. Yeah. Um, Though this, at this point, there weren't that many. I mean, yeah. on, on no. screen. Yeah. But, but in the books, uh, well, especially at this point, this is, what, 1987, I believe? And lots of people have done things like describe the arrival of the TARDIS by that point in various different ways. I love the way he describes the arrival of the TARDIS. It's just beautiful and poetic. But, yeah, it's weird that the Doctor almost fetishizes this period of history and then never refers to it ever again. Or why. Yeah, or why he loves it so much. And it's not even brought up in the book either. But is it like just this period or is it like the whole thing? He seems to, well, according to what Susan says, this is his favorite period the in history. Terror, terror is his favorite or the Or that entire stretch of the revolution. But the French Revolution's like how long? Like 50 years? Yeah, I guess if you fold this over into yeah. it, then from yeah. start to finish. Yeah, probably. I, I guess you wouldn't put the Napoleonic era as Maybe a part of Maybe it's just all of the like inner workings of spying and you know what i mean there was a lot of things going on like Mm -hmm. people playing both sides and 
Yeah, the like subterfuge involved. Like secret agents. and I mean, that's what a lot of people like about, like, you know, that's why people like James Bond. Yeah, true. Because he's a double agent. Or not a double agent, but he's an agent. There's double agents he's going against. Yeah. And I guess it's more captivating in the sense that, you know, you never know who to trust. Well, and yeah. also, too, like, if the doctor is is impressed with humans for their mental capabilities, the French Revolution really was, like, an exploration on... Equality, fraternity. Mm-hmm. It was or about working with your. Well, even though it was bloody, even though a lot of bad stuff did happen, a lot of good did come from the French Revolution. Yeah. A lot of well, ideas. They probably wouldn't be there where they are now if it wasn't for that. Yeah. yeah. Have a and honestly, reading this book made me realize, you know, a lot of people talk down about the French and how they don't want to fight for anything. And it's like, well, the well, French. For, like, it's like, look what they did 200 years ago. Yeah. They had a civil war that lasted for 40 fucking years. Yeah. Yeah. And they killed off. Their whole country, yeah. because they were trying to figure out how to govern themselves. Right. And in the end, they came to a point where they realized, we can't do this this way. We the have French to do were it. always fighting, even with other countries before that. Mm-hmm. So ha- having like a 21st century perspective on that, yeah. it's like, yeah, the French totally like don't fight anymore because they did all their fighting a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. They right. did all their fighting amongst each other. 200 years ago yeah. and they realized like this is not the way to go about things yeah. one plus fighting now doesn't like have you really own anything anymore mm-hmm. either right it's just for like pomp and circumstance yeah so. and the french are already full Art. of pomp and circumstance <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like we don't need to fight there's no oh more french colonies so there goes our French audience. I love the French. All like, one of them. I'm sitting here defending them. <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. I know you are. No, nothing French against the French people. I love French people. I just think it's so yeah. odd that <laughs> the doctor it's, is so in love with this period. It's it weird, really but I mean... It also puts the story on the, the worst wrong footing. And here's why. Susan already knows about this period. The doctor already knows about this period. Babs obviously knows because she's a history teacher. Ian even seems to know. Even Ian speaks French. They all know about this. Yeah, and I have to wonder, and I'd like some of our British listeners to tell me whether or not it's just that British school children in 1964 would have known all of this. If this is just kind of French in school, well, not necessarily French in school, but French history, that they would have known what was coming because there's there's not the sort of same thing with the Aztecs. No, where you have the characters talking about ah, but you know what's going to happen. Was the only one who was privy, like incredibly privy to anything that had to do with the Aztecs because she was interested in it. Right, but then she told the rest of us, and therefore the audience. Yeah, no one tells the audience what's going on, so that but they all know. If you watch the televised version, you really have no idea who Citizen Robespierre is, what he, why he's important, why yeah. he's important, yeah. why finally him getting executed is a big thing. Now, so in the past, hmm? didn't the TARDIS <laughs> just naturally translate everything to English so yeah. that the Doctor and his companions I understood? I was going to ask you that uh, question. What? what uh, it didn't have to. It already knew that they moved French, so they were good. Maybe. Yeah. Well, but that was yeah. Just, that's that a weird just, thing, isn't it? Though that was just something that sprung to mind. I was just like, so they had no the trouble understanding. Of its own. <laughs> well, it does. It does. Um, did they? Yeah, they had no trouble understanding anyone on any of the other planets they've been to. Yeah. They had no trouble understanding the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. But here they are in 18th century France, and it's like they're. They're trying to bust out their best French. Yes, and it's like yeah. 200 years out of date. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, even the French that they would have learned in Britain in 1963 or 4 would have been the wrong French. It would French. have been like old, us learning 18th century English. Well, it'd been, it would have been like, yeah, it would have been like us being put down in Shakespeare's time yeah. and getting along with <laughs> and it. And having to fend for ourselves. And it, it's possible, but maybe that's where the TARDIS is helping kind of making sure that the worst errors are translated out. I have no yeah. idea because it's weird for, for a number of reasons. I think I know why Ian Margaret did it. But it is weird for a number of reasons. One being this is 1987. And Tom Baker's famous line about the TARDIS translates for you. It's a Time Lord gift I allow you to share. Has already been on the air so fans already know the TARDIS translates yeah I mean he makes a lot of exceptions in 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 this book like talking about their language and how it's I'm trying to pick the best words mm -hmm. he he says that a lot in this book like they're struggling for words like when Ian is in the jail and he pushes him up and he's like uh you know I when he got pushed, he, his mind went blank and he was searching for the correct words to speak in French. Why would he even have to bother? Yeah, exactly. And I'm you wondering... Know, like, why would it just come out fluently <coughs> if that was the case? And I'm wondering if they did that, if he did that specifically because it helps the book a bit. Because it helps with the um, the feeling of paranoia. Yeah, yeah. yeah be because it. if they spoke eloquent, perfect French, as they probably would now if they landed in France... Yeah. Then no one would think, oh, they're they're British. No one would believe them probably because they'd say, oh, your British is flawless. It's like whenever um, uh, what's her name, Clara, is speaking Russian and doesn't yeah. realize she's speaking Russian. She's speaking adequate Russian, yeah. but it's still fairly flawless Russian. But it does help the story along a little bit, I think, because. It does, well, it does raise those questions. Does the TARDIS only translate languages that its crew simply can't understand? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because they're about to be talking to alien butterflies in a couple Ooh. stories. So, yeah, how do they speak monopteran, if that's the language that it's called? Um, certainly it makes more sense that their French is not flawless if they're actually English, which, which is what they truthfully tell everyone. Yeah. It also makes it harder for them to talk their way out of things. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. Especially Ian. Ian on screen is put in some of the worst situations. Oh, yeah. He is also in the book put in some of those situations because he doesn't have the eloquence he normally has to talk his way out. Even Babs is better at it than he is. Um, though I do have to wonder, there was one line. There was one line that Ian says, and it's like, how did he say that in French? It's like, how on earth do you get that line in French? There's just no way. Where is it? Small fry. He says, I'm small fry. What did he say? Petite frite? Yeah. Small fry? Petite pomfrite. <laughs> Petite pomfrite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, how do you say that in French? How would you even... That's how you say it. Yeah, well, why would they know what a fry was? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know... I, I think I think it's the uh, term for I think it's the term for you know when you have small fish that you, but still I don't even know what the idiomatic expression like in French would be. I was gonna say I don't even yeah. know that that idiom would may, mean anything in France what at that time. Because like like, even like small potatoes, like we know what that means, yeah. but small potatoes to a French person. Yeah. Of, yeah. Right? So Bring that's that why I'm thinking. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mon petit pomme de terre. 
Yeah, you know? it's like, dude, the fuck? Um, I think that's where the TARDIS is probably helping along. I think yeah. that's what's actually happening. That even though it feels like they're probably struggling with the language, the TARDIS is probably doing some tweaks every once in a while and making yeah. sure everybody... But it's not doing it for everyone. No. Because the TARDIS doesn't translate for everyone, as we know. That if you're... if say you spoke Russian mm-hmm. and he spoke French and I started speaking to you, mm-hmm. the TARDIS would translate into Russian for you, but mm-hmm. then he'd hear me speaking Russian. Or at least that's the way I've always thought it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So So it speaks the language that you know. Possibly. I guess. I guess it speaks the language of the listener. Mm-hmm. It would have to, wouldn't it? Because if that'd there's be ultra confusing to everybody around you then. It would. I'm almost certain it would like be. Like if you were on, well, if you were on Earth in Russia and somebody else, it'd just be very confusing. Well, when... I mean, I guess there isn't a lot of instances where somebody's Russian and someone's French and doesn't know any Russian and is in Russia. Yeah. I think when Clara is speaking Russian in that one episode, he says something along the lines of, you speak excellent Russian, but some of the words you use are absolutely confusing. And yeah. it's like, yeah, because she's using idiomatic English. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not translating properly. Correctly. It's like the, the show Farscape. I don't know if either of you have ever watched that. I, I know of it. I no. know of it, but I've never they, watched uh, it. They use translation microbes. And those microbes gather at the base of the, uh, the uh, spy, uh, brainstem. So that whatever language you're hearing is automatically translated into your own idiomatic language. And every once in a while, Crichton will let loose with something like, oh, that's slick as snot. And another character will look at him sharply and say, my translator microbes must be rendering that improperly. I can't, you could not have said that. And it's like, yeah, he did actually. So would you say that helps the book? That they suddenly can't speak the local language as fluently as usual? I think it definitely puts them in some precarious positions. You know, it, it, it helps feed that worry that mm-hmm. something could happen. Um, the fact that they kept getting separated. Like, yeah. oh my they god. They weren't even like barely around, only Barbara. Yeah. They were, they were the only two that were together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and of course that's a hallmark of Hartnell stories, isn't it? That they're constantly getting separated and they have to get back together. Mm-hmm. And that's half the... Well, I would say half the fun, except in some stories it's just not fun. Yeah. No. I mean, Marco Polo is a weird one because they're not separated at all and you can feel it. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, seven seven episodes of these people together. Oh my god. However, there was another thing, speaking of the regulars. They're depicted very differently in this book. How did the depictions of the main characters feel to you? Because Ian Martyr does some... Particularly unusual things with the Doctor and Susan, but he also does them with Ian and Barbara. Do you mean like their character differences? The the way they're presented. They seem... Well, in this book, like, Susan is definitely a weak character. And she's yeah. typically not. Hmm. Um, Barbara <clears throat> is, like, ultra-intelligent yeah. for this time because she's very learned in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian's not as strong as he usually is. Right. Because, you know, Ian in the last book was, like, using his muscles. <laughs> you know, the Essex, he was, like, flexing, fighting, and yeah, yeah. none of this and that. No. Um, and the Doctor is smart, but he's not as charismatic. And he's also kind of fumbly. And, the well, he's a lot more smug for yeah. some reason in this book. And he gets foiled because, a lot. Yeah, because, yeah, like, even at the beginning when he's with those people who are digging for the road or getting dismantling <laughs> yeah. the road and he, like... 
he like you know mocks the guy and the guy's like okay go and freaking dig the road then or do whatever, <laughs> whatever they were doing with the road yeah and I was like why would you even bother with that like why didn't he even go up to them yeah you know yeah. like so but in, that made no sense but I feel like in some ways though that kind of like shows just how nonsensical and all over the place people were at this time yeah. because even though the doctor can usually like weasel his way out yeah. by talking to people mm-hmm. even that wasn't yeah. enough to convince anyone like yeah. they're just like well how do we know you're not a spy yeah, yeah. all right uh join Where's the chain gang mm-hmm. uh yeah everyone yeah. was suspicious yeah. even of people that could have you know he ended up fooling them into thinking he was some high up uh, yes yeah. but he doesn't fool them with it yeah no yeah he and doesn't fool the guy who he probably needs to fool, but ends up being good. Yeah, right. He doesn't fool him at all. No, not at all. And that could have really backfired yeah. on all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when, you know, how do you say his name? The man he was trying to... Lemate. Lemate. When he when he went with him to go see the guy who was the worst... Yes, I'm horrible at name. Who's the you know worst guy there is. He was trying to get like him to tell all this stuff. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how is your district doing? And blah blah blah. And then the doctor kind of whittled his way out of it a little bit. And mm-hmm. then you know, that's kind of the part where you thought, oh, maybe that guy's not as cool as you thought he was, because he's like trying to get him to tell these stories that he knows he doesn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, but he, in the but end, but those in, in all actuality were. The differences in the characters. Right. Like, the doctor's usually super sly and Yeah. And... Though he's not always, in these early stories, very um, successful at it. Oh. It's almost like he's finding his feet. He's yeah. kind of a proto-doctor of the one we know now who yeah. can talk his way out of death if he met death in person. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, even when he goes to, they go to meet Robespierre, he goes on the attack with Robespierre and yeah, says, I he's find like it... super aggressive. Yeah, and it's like, do you really want to do this? But is it maybe because it's his favorite area, and maybe he knows, like, oh, why should I, yeah. you know, be as aggressive as they are? Like, these people are bloodthirsty. Maybe I need to come out totally aggressive. And right, true. Maybe, I mean... But he doesn't know everything about, you know, human mm-hmm. culture, obviously, or different times. And yet, maybe that's what he's thinking, though. Like, these people are heartless, and he knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to come on the attack. Maybe that's it. But he's just gotten out of a situation where he went on the attack yeah, and, and ended up work out. digging a ditch yeah. for several hours. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. Weirdly enough, though, everything we've talked about, those differences in depictions, um, are actually on screen. <clears throat> so Susan has very little to do. She's basically coughing and hacking throughout yeah. the entire episode. Crying in the dungeon. She has yeah. more to do in the book, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, the Doctor has a little bit more to do in the book because Hartnell went on vacation for another couple episodes. So he wasn't on screen for at least one or two. I can't remember how many. In this book? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, Hartnell was always going on vacation. <laughs> You doctor know. Who without the Doctor. Yeah, exactly. Which you, know. you could never... Well, you can get away with it now, but the Doctor still has to make an appearance. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and those are actually some of the best episodes. Uh, it's going to get really bad later with Troughton, because there's, <laughs> there's one episode where the second Doctor is tied up, and the only time you see him is his feet... Which are tied up, just going back and forth, and it's like it's a it's a double. And it's like oh, not that's even so the real sweet. action. Yeah, <laughs> but Martyr has kind of papered over those parts in this, and you can't really tell. What I was referring to more is the fact that this is the it's not the first book to ever do this. 
but it's the first book that we've read in this order to do this. To refer to the Doctor as a Time Lord, mm-hmm. to refer to the fact that he has two hearts, to refer yes, to the fact that he's an alien, yeah, to refer to his lower body temperature. And not only is he depicted as an alien, but Susan, in a few key moments, key scenes, comes off as really weirdly alien in the way that she hasn't been since an unearthly child. Yeah. Like in the dungeon, that they're really facing death, and Susan's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, the the grandfather will finally rescue us. He always does. That was at the beginning, though. Yeah. I mean, she finally she did turned. get disheartened. Yeah. But you notice that very first scene when they're in the dungeon, Barbara's like, how yeah, did she, she do this? Yeah. <laughs> She's constantly able to detach herself, and it's like, that sense of detachment is not something we've seen from Susan Foreman ever before. No. no. And yet Martyr is bringing it out because... He's all, it's almost as if he's writing the character of Susan the way she would have been depicted had she still been depicted the way she was in that very first episode. Yeah. As an yeah, alien she child. She has a very hu- more human-like character in a lot of the other books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, like, yeah. emotionally expressive all the time. Yeah. And yeah. this one, she's not really other than that she's scared. Yeah. Exactly. And even that's only after like multiple attempts of getting mm-hmm. out and then not and then making it. And and I think it's because also too she hadn't seen the doctor in how long, many days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean, usually he's there immediately, like, okay, we're figuring this out. But yeah. he didn't yeah. show up for quite a while. And well, she thinks he's dead. Well, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah for all yeah. she knows, he is dead. And it's... but somehow she doesn't mind that because she probably is thinking, oh, well, once he regenerates, he'll be along right. to get us. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is just. It's odd, and also Barbara's reaction to that, because it's the first time we've ever seen Barbara, since uh, Edge of Destruction, really kind of annoyed with Susan in any way. Yeah, she's kind of a really floppy character in here. Like, yeah. when they're trying to dig the hole to get out, she's like, oh, I can't. I know, you and then just she gets sick. Her. Then she gets sick, and she's like, oh, I can't run, I'm puke, gonna puke. Like, yeah. Okay. And then she dies. Well, I wish, we yeah. wish, now we've got two more stories with her. Sorry, folks at home. <laughs> Susan's not going anywhere yet. We've got the month of May, and then we'll be done with her. But she is depicted very alienly. I know, I feel the same way, dog- doggy. Makes me feel that way. Hartnell, however, you get those references to his Time Lord physiology the whole way. And it's like... How did that make y'all feel? Because we, we've known, obviously, that he's alien and all that, but yeah. to see that, you know, just there, is it odd, or do you just kind no, of... No, it was it? the first time they've, like, referenced it, though. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and story And then, like, I read the two-heart thing, I was like, I was like oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring that up, you know what I mean? Like, it was one of those points where it was like, oh, I'll bring that up, you know? Like, so it was... I did notice that it was something that had been different than yeah. in other stories. It's something brand new. Yeah. Um, it's obviously not brand new if you're reading these, you know, in the order they came out. But the fact that we've got a Hartnell story that calls him a Time Lord, even though he's not one yet, yeah. is just the strangest, strangest thing. What yeah. did you feel about it? Um, I don't know that it it really added anything or took away from it. It just made me kind of more aware of if I was in his situation. You know, his his body temperature is what sixty. It's Fahrenheit? Yeah, or in the 50s, I think. So, like, imagining my body temperature being that much lower and then being in the middle of humid, sweaty July, France. Yeah. 
I'm like, oh my god, my body temperature being 98 degrees, it's unbearable. I can only imagine <laughs> if, like, my body temperature was two-thirds of that. Right. How just oppressive it would feel mm-hmm. to just be there. Um, yeah, there were there have been times in, in other stories where I thought they were going to reference the two-heart thing, mm-hmm. like with the innocence rights, with the... The, um, they got struck under the heart. Well, struck under the heart, but also with that laser, they were yes. going to shoot them in the heart. So it was like, well, the doctor has two hearts. So. Oh, and that reminds me. They took a... I, I think I did mention that, didn't I? In the Sensorites, they took a line out of the televised version. I think Nigel Robinson realized how stupid it was. Oh, yeah, you yeah. did. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, do they have the, the heart in the middle of the body like we do? It's like, yeah. as everybody knows, it's like... Right. You know. but, um, but, yeah, I, I felt like it was... in. It was an interesting detail, but I don't think it, it really took yeah, away or added anything. Yeah, I think it added or or I mean, yeah. it added a, a clue to hit, hit the fact... I mean, we knew he was from another planet, and right. anyone from another planet other than Earth is an alien. Yeah. It just gave gave some info into his, like, anatomy and, like, what he can deal with heat-wise and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which yeah. is weird because, of course, that doesn't come up again. No, uh, yeah. seeing him run around on planets full of lava, and it seems to be exactly. like no it's problem. Fun. It's just like, in fact, but, the only time we ever France in September is yeah, not pleasant, <laughs> not pleasant. Um, in fact, they do have later stories where he seems to have no problem with cold, and that makes sense. Yeah, but he had problem with cold in Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh my god, consistency, but... consistency. Yeah, but Susan had problem with cold in that one story with the um. The sensorites. Oh, that's right. She did, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's there. Are, there are difficulties. There. there are difficulties with the uh, consistency of the whole thing. I guess. Yeah. Favorite characters? Is it possible to have favorite characters in this book other than the uh, regular? I liked uh, Jean, the guy yeah. who was like who captured them off the. Um, that was his name, right? Jean. John and Jules. Yeah, John and Jules were probably my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Because okay. they were like, you know, they were going around helping people. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. I liked, yeah, I think, I think. They as, were probably the two characters, like, other than everybody else that, like, stood out because they were, like, fighting for what was right in yeah. their minds. And they were just good people because they were just setting anyone free. They yeah. weren't, like, picking out people. Yeah. Like, intentionally because of their, their, like, circumstance or their money or. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were, those are poor people who typically are getting killed or anyone they yeah. weren't they weren't feeding into the terror they, exactly. they really yeah. were they still were the bourge- what did they say they were the bourgeois, bourgeois. Yeah. yeah they're bourgeois they so neither, the middle class they were neither here nor there yeah so they were perfect they were they were more thinking of people as people instead yeah. of looking at them for gain you yeah know, political those are gain my two favorite like characters okay um, i in the end i really liked the mate too yeah um i just like the idea of this british man infiltrating all of France. French. Uh, yeah. During the Reign of Terror, and like I said before, like him being the only one who could betray himself. This this yeah. this lone wolf out in the middle of crazy town. Yeah. Just, you know, they never really, I mean, knowing history, of course, you know that the French and the British have a, yeah. they fight. Oh, yeah. But they never Holy really kind of talk about, like, what is he there for? Is he to spy on the French government? Is he there to... Yeah. He's there to, um, Have, they're there to, he's there to make sure that, like, what they're doing in France isn't going to, like, jump over to England. Yeah, or affect British national security. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah which makes some sense. Makes sense, but, again, like, 
like I or, said, or I mean, they have a monarch in England. Will they? That's true. Will the thought process of what's going on in France jump over to England? That's and, true. And that was a concern because yeah. not only did you have the French Revolution, you also have the Americans who just revolted. Yes, I mean, <laughs> right. British much going against right. the whole monarch. You know what I mean? Like, so, oh my God! That's going to be probably the most frightening thing to them is the whole, you know. Like, okay, in France you're going crazy. They got rid of the, mon- the monarch. England's all monarch. You know what yeah, I mean? so, right. that could very well be yeah. why. Yeah, it is kind of strange. Um, what would you say is your uh, favorite moment, least favorite moment, least favorite scene, anything like that? Um, there was a part at the beginning. I think it, I think it was between Ian and the Doctor. They were going back and forth about... Okay, we know we're on Earth, but this isn't where we think we are. But also, this is probably not the time we think it is. Yeah. There was a little exchange between Ian and the Doctor, basically. Ian's like, you say you know what you're doing, but you really don't know what you're doing. Wink, wink. Like, right? <laughs> like, I get it. Like, you're still in charge. You're still the Doctor. But, like, can you just admit that you don't know everything? Yeah. Please? Which so is I, never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. but I, I like that, that little... Uh, back and forth between the two of them at the beginning just kind of Ian giving Mm -hmm. it to the doctor ribbing him a little bit and we finally get that exactly because Ian Martyrs decided to pick up the story right where the previous story left off with the doctor saying I'm putting you both off the TARDIS you're going oh yeah yeah Yeah. I did yeah like hello you two are still here oh you're in England uh go ahead get off and they weren't even in England no I'm not even in the right century and they have to butter them up and say can you come and have a drink with us we shouldn't leave it this way and luckily they did well after that I mean I would have been like hey we're getting Susan, I hear F you. Right. Yeah. Well, and at, and at one point, Ian's just like, I, I honestly don't even care if we're close to Britain right now. As long as we're in the right time, and yeah. they're not even I can in the get right there. Time. And then they find out they're not even yeah. in the right time. Not even in the right time. Not in the right time. Not in the right time. <laughs> after this, I'll have to be solidified a little bit more in the relationship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the um, nice things about it. Because after Susan leaves, he kind of relies on Ian and Barbara a lot more. Which is makes it even weirder that Martyr has the doctor think of his granddaughter and her two friends. It's like, yeah. it's not my friends. Yeah, they're not my friends. They're, they're her friends. friends. They're her friends. It's like, <laughs> which is hilarious. But I guess it depends on his perspective of them. You know, are they his friends or are they companions? Are they people that are along on this journey with him? You know. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. not necessarily friends. No, not yet. Not yet. Well, I mean, it's you still would coming. Think you'd there. be friends. I mean, yeah. after all the times you've like saved each other's lives, oh, I mean, no. I, I'm sure some of your friends would help but, you save your life. But, but, you know <laughs> but the doctor, exactly. he's too eccentric. He's too weird. He's too uh, full of himself. To yeah. Yeah. he doesn't need friends. Well, he's also no. not from the earth. No. no. <laughs> and I think Martyr depicts him really well. In fact, there's one moment on page 94, which is one of my favorite moments, where he describes the doctor's strange, rather frightening half-smile with the corners of his mouth turned down. Yes, I tried to picture that. I was like, I need to see this on screen. Yes, if you've seen Hartnell episodes, you know what he's talking about. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's no video, but those of you at home, you know exactly what we're talking about when Hartnell does that. Oh. Yeah, it's it's very much a Hartnell thing, and it's the first time that any of the writers has depicted him visually in that way with such care. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, which makes references to things like acid mucus even weirder. 
It's like, oh god, yes, the Time Lords have a respiratory bypass system, so they don't actually choke to death, and they don't actually get gassed to death, but... Uh, it's just so, so weird to have. Is, okay, this is gonna be... Well, it's not a dumb question to me, No, but, not at all. Um, is Susan a Time Lord? Well, that's my thought, because that goes back to my theory, that she... It comes down to something like this. All Time Lords are Gallifreyan, but mm-hmm. not all Gallifreyans are Time, time Lords. Lord. I think that she has not been through the academy. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's a time lady, as the uh, so-called usages. Yeah, the nomenclature. But um, she has the physiology. Okay, so the only reason you're a time lord is because you go to school. Yeah. So all of your attributes, like the gassing and all this stuff, this is all things that these people have. It's never been Naturally. established. That's the thing. We don't even know if regular Gallifreyans can regenerate, even though it's heavily implied they can. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm these not would be things you learned in the academy? I guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, Skills it's, you it may is need in the field. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like a military type thing. Yeah. Because Romana, the doctor's um, time lady companion later, mm-hmm. has two hearts from the very start. And okay. that's her first incarnation. So that's supposedly. probably their physiology. Physiology. It's just how to use your physiology for your benefit. <laughs> yes. How to win friends and influence yeah. people with your two hearts. <laughs> right. There you or, go. Or just... Or your mucus. Or, or you know, like, mucus. Yeah, you it's know, like the hell. It's like sex ed. It's like, these are things you're born with, but do you know how to use, use them? them? Yeah. No. Yeah. You need yeah. to be... Ex- that, that makes sense. That's something you because need to learn. Lord, you would know that you're going to go to different times and places. Yeah. And yeah. how to use those things. But just as a Gallifreyan, you're just, you just living a life on yeah. your planet yeah. with your people. My guess is that Susan's Gallifreyan Fran, obviously, but she's not a time lady. Yeah. But she still has the two hearts because there's a weird little kind of reference to the the other the physician making his uh, examination of her, yeah. and he seems kind of startled by something. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah. oh, it's probably that double heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what's yeah. throwing him yeah. off. It would throw off anybody. Yeah. It threw off the dog. Listen to him. Now that was one thing. Okay, Barbara, why did she take Susan to that? That doctor, that physiologist. I mean, she was desperate. But like, yeah, she's not gonna die. Twentieth yeah. century knowledge, like, yeah. come there, on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with the twentieth century knowledge, oh, I was gonna put leeches <laughs> oh. on her. I mean, they're not gonna <laughs> yes. have antibiotics. Like, you know everything her. else going on during the French Revolution, yeah. but you seem water. to forget like, about like bloodletting. Yeah. <laughs> Just repeat yeah. to yourself, Seriously. it's just a show. I should really just no, relax. Yeah, it is. But it's, no, you're right. I you're right. The same thing. I was like, what is the purpose of bringing their doctor? It's a, the, yeah. the doctor's also the barber. Yeah. But also, just, exactly. just like Jean and Jules said, like, it could be dangerous. Yeah. Like, yes. even though it's someone you quote unquote trust, yeah. like, everything. They weren't referring to the betrayal. Yeah. No, but like, <laughs> everything with everyone in this whole city is yes. all about, like, suspicion. Yeah. So, like, why would even a doctor take care of someone who comes in that has this... I, yeah. c- I can only think it's plot contrivance. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta uh, be. Yeah, because yeah. clearly this is a six-parker. Yeah. <clears throat> and you have to get... You have to extend it somehow. Yeah. It's like meatloaf. You can only put in so much oatmeal before you start to notice the taste. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You, you just had your first taste of meatloaf. Yeah. That's true. I'm just I'm wondering... No oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering why there wasn't, like, some other you know yeah yes she has a, sh- a chill but it's like okay yeah i've laid in bed for four days with a chill before and i got yes. over it i was fine i didn't need to go to the doctor yeah. like 
Yeah. yeah. In fact, it would make more sense if Barbara thought, oh, she's it's an the alien. Way to get her back some... to the jail. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And the only reason to get them back there is so that the doctor can find them there yeah. and do the whole, yeah. 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 And have his brilliant moment that actually redeems him as a clever character because he failed completely a couple of times <laughs> at it. Yeah. If at first you don't succeed. Yeah, try like three more times. Do not admit failure. <laughs> yeah, do not admit failure ever if you're the doctor. Speaking of sex, we weren't talking about sex, but um, did anyone else find that there were just some sexy moments in this? There's that sexual tension between Babs and Leon. Yes. Yeah, it's really, really, really pounded on here, no pun intended. And then the jailer. But like, why though? Because like she she has like some sort of sexual tension to him, but then like there's a quippet about the fact that she doesn't trust him. Yeah. So it's like okay, you French Frenchmen are just insatiable. They like, they really are. Even when they're traitors, <laughs> you still yeah. just can't. But it was just like she's like, oh, well, he's da da da. He, I have some weird like, feeling about him. Yes, he looks like Ian, but better looking and French. I did like the. So that means she liked they, they called back to the <laughs> fact that Danielle, Danielle did not like him. Like, yeah. there's the little part about them having that kind of like tension, tension yeah. between the two of them. When you get like, oh, initially it's like, does this girl have a thing for him? And she's like jealous of Barbara. Like, no. And in the end, it's like, no, like she already was having some she understanding. Yeah, she no, already knew. I never trusted him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, folks. That's my work best French accent. That's your best French woman accent. <laughs> yeah, that's the best I can do. Get me a little drunker and I'll be able to do it even better. <laughs> be able to speak the language yeah. for once. Um, yeah. And the jailer offering to, you know, do quid pro quo for Barbara if he's willing to show her some. Too bad Susan aid. didn't have any anatomy I mean... in that area to help her out. <laughs> That's not fair. I was going to say, French We don't know that. We don't know. French whores, I mean, they used to just screw against walls and alleys. They did. uh, Well, any prostitutes of that era. Yeah. They didn't exactly have a bed or anything like that. But the weird thing there is that that, um, it's not quite so obvious on screen. That, That must be it. But... I think it's also that Ian Martyr is a Scorpio and therefore a perv. <laughs> because, believe me, when we get we to the it. rescue, I have got the most hilarious story to tell you about that book. Oh my God. But now it's making, knowing that story is making me look for sexual references in all of his books. And sure enough, they're there. They're there. He's trying to slip things by the censors. And uh, mm-hmm. at least with that stuff, he's succeeding. Well, I mean, they are humans. And humans are want to. Yeah, the fact that Barbara liked that guy, though, like, kind of did nothing for the story. So that had to just no. add to the, like you said, he wanted to add some sexual tension in somewhere. Yeah. And it almost got her, like, ousted by everybody else because she's like why did you kill her yes which does happen on screen but it's a little more intense here where she says there are no good guys or bad guys in all this they're all fighting for the right to survive or whatever her the guys that who literally killed him are there they are the good guys because they're not either side yeah i agree so what yeah. Well, and it's like ultimately, Barbara, would you rather him have killed Ian? Yeah, exactly. Would you rather have hotter Ian? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Exactly. He probably uh, has lights on him. And she- <laughs> but she does have... I, I think what she's trying to do there is make a point that she makes in the televised version, but in somewhat more expanded form. Because not only is she bringing to bear everything she knows about this history, yeah. there's a sense that her experience with the Aztecs have made her much more aware of potential consequences. Whereas Ian also has a point when he says they've already taken sides. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, this is the story doing that same crisis. It's playing it out. Yeah. And Ian's having the crisis that she did in the Aztecs, but for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and I, that's something I appreciate about Ian Martyr. He adds that detail. He also adds all these terrifying historical details, such as... um about the women's hair being cut short to keep it out of the guillotine blade. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about that, and yet there it is on the page for all those 10 to 14-year-olds in Britain that are reading these novelizations. Fun. Keep your guillotine sharp, guys. Yes. I think part of it is by 1987, obviously, these books are being written by, read by a much broader audience than the original remit. Still, though. Yeah. It's like, God. (laughs) <laughs> was there anything else like that that stood out to you yeah there and they did lots of them so much um, so you might as well have uh, opened a bowling alley the at the end when they they get Robespierre and they they discuss him being shot in the jaw oh where, with bits of teeth, teeth. flying out flying yeah. out and um oh. there's a part where they where they're actually bringing him into the jail and they're just they're he describes the just the Blood the blood and stuff oh. dripping down from his mouth like ribbons. Yeah, he was like trying to write a note. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, those are the parts of the book that I totally, I, I really <laughs> like those parts. <laughs> <laughs> the, little, little the little gory details. Yeah. You're going to love Martyr's later books then because he <laughs> loves doing stuff like that. At least here it fits yeah. the yeah. story because it's such a bloody period. Yeah. yeah. This is probably the grimmest story in all of the first season of Doctor Who. Yeah. Absolutely the grimmest. And he brings out the grim the grimness in it because it's terrifying. Yeah. A lot of the descriptors in there really like made you feel like you were there. Yeah. Like him he describing was good at describing people too. Yeah. yeah. Robespierre's description, for instance, he's kind of a drip on screen, but mm-hmm. the way he's described in the book is yeah. like, Oh my god. They give yeah. everybody a little a little twippet of how they look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's very it's good. It's not about like that. the other books where some people you're like, Oh, what do they look like? Right. And and he even described Paris. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, finally we get to see Paris. You yeah. don't get to see it on screen. Yeah. No, no. You see like a, oh, what is it? It's not a woodcut. It's one it's of like those prints. And it's like, Paris. And it's like, oh, and they're back to the studio. <laughs> but here at least the doctor is like, oh, I can see it from here. And he, Yeah, he talks about being able to see Notre Dame and uh, the Seine. And, yeah, and you yeah. never get to see any of that on screen. But here it's in the mind's eye and lively and glowing and in full glorious and disgusting color. Mm-hmm. Because of all that gore, yeah, yeah. it's kind of kind of cool, really. It definitely makes me want to read more about the French Revolution. Yeah, and Just I think for the that's of it. it's, it's really, oh, yeah. it's really, yeah. Trust me, you. That's will... the first thing Julie said. So I was like telling her I was reading the book. I was like, yeah, I'm reading the book. It's real. I'm like, it's not hard. It's just like I'm getting trying to get through it, but my mind keeps going other places. Cause I'm thinking about what I want to read, like to reference. Yeah. And she goes, well, it was a really gory period. And I go, yeah. Oh, I, go, I know that, but I need to read more. About yeah, it. it was extremely gory. And the reason why Robespierre was brought before the two 
governing councils is treated a little more here too. Though the weird thing about him being shot in the jaw, even though it's treated as historical fact, it may be apocryphal. He was shot in the jaw, but we don't know for sure whether or not it happened during his arrest or whether it happened because Did there was he a shoot siege. himself in the jaw? Or? That's the thing. That according to Wikipedia, there's uh, there's evidence that he may have shot himself in the jaw. That because he's trying to kill himself? Yeah. yeah. Because That's what I got from the book, though. It's because yeah. they're like, he raised his gun mm-hmm. and blah, and then it shot him. It didn't yeah. say he shot himself in the jaw, but it made... The assumption that he did, because he yeah. raised his gun towards his face. Yeah. So he was probably trying to off himself yeah. before everyone took him in. And that's what they think happened, because what happened in the historic... why would they have shot him Well, in the face they barricaded then... themselves in that building mm-hmm. for hours. Yeah. And the, you know, the rabble-rousers or whoever they were were trying to get in, mm-hmm. and that apparently Robespierre tried to commit suicide and missed and yeah. hit himself in the jaw. Yes, I except, got that yeah, but then in the story, it's somebody just shooting him to shut him up. And the weird thing about the televised version is he does get shot in the jaw. You don't see it. Yeah, you but see in him this holding. book, it, 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 it seems like he's going to shoot himself. Yeah, it was a but little... But then it also kind of makes it seem like somebody did it. Yeah. So it's kind of not... It's splitting the difference. Did, well, yeah, it's like in the middle. Yeah. It's kind of just like it's there was of, action, yeah. this happened, yeah. we don't know he if it was He moved his hand towards his or... head, then somebody else moved a gun and someone Right, shot. and I'm wondering if that's Ian Martyr splitting the difference yeah. because it does make sense for you to do that. Just yeah. in case you wouldn't know for sure what happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if there's a scuffle and you have that's guns. That's pretty interesting to know that he went to that. Yeah. In, in detail of that. And before Wikipedia. <laughs> because I was looking at it and saying, oh, there are two conflicting versions. And Ian Martyr would have known those two conflicting versions, and he does service to both. Yeah. And I love how he actually throws in a uh, Doctor Who reference. On page 152, the jailer shook his head vigorously as if trying to shake the drink out of his brain. Who are you? he asked tentatively. Exactly, rapped the doctor. <laughs> Doctor Who, exactly. Yeah, even that. Yeah. Even stuff like that. Aw, bless. (laughs) The weird thing about this book, too, is, like I said, it's the end of the first season, and the Doctor has this lovely speech at the very end of the episode against a sea of stars, and, you know, that's the end of the season. It's very pretty. But the last line here is where to? Who knows, Chesterton? Who knows? Because I certainly don't. <laughs> and that's great. I love that last line. It's almost better than the televised version. Yeah. Any last thoughts before we go to Goodreads and talk about what they had to say and then give your ratings? Um, my thought is is that, like I said, I'm not really into the historical stuff, but um, I do like the fact that this has made me want to read more like in depth about the French Revolution, mm-hmm. so I could see how it would make kids who were probably like me who like stuff like that. Like creepy gory things. <laughs> creepy gory kids. Me, me too. Yeah, you right. know what I mean? Like creepy gory kids who want to read more right. stuff. I mean, like I said, I'm privy to some history of France, but I would like to get like more in depth about it. I can see um, that. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I liked this. I liked Ian Martyr because he was very expressive in the way he every character was explained you know what i mean like every situation was explained out and i like that Mm -hmm. i like the length of the book it's a little bit longer Mm -hmm. a little more depth to it um but like 
Yeah. I probably might always just not like the historical stuff. Yeah. Even though I will want to read more about things that are related to this. I think there's some coming up you'll enjoy. The Romans is hilarious. Yeah. And The Gunfighters is hilarious, strangely enough. Of course, they're written by the same person. Yeah, it's Doc Holliday and the whole business. It's it's the OK Corral, and it's just stunning. Um, We have to talk about Napoleon. Just oh yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about Napoleon because just because like where this is going to just totally is like yeah they got through this hellhole, but look what they're setting up for the rest of (laughs) Europe. Yeah, to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I I just I thought it was interesting that just this little scene in that inn, yeah. Yeah. clandestine location, late at night, and rainy, think, and just. I think that's what the doctor was saying when he was saying history could be changed if we don't help Lemate, because that's what could change. Yeah. If they don't allow this meeting to go through, then Napoleon's not going to take over, which would be better in so many ways, except the terror would go on. But LeMay also says, like, oh, they picked Napoleon? Why would they do that? It's supposed to be a three-person council. That's never going to happen. Yeah. He says it right there. So So he he, already knows, like, Napoleon's not going (laughs) to have... You know, there's not going to be three, two yes. minds and then his. No. And so Ian gets a warning known. look from the yeah. doctor because Ian's about to open his mouth and the yeah. doctor's like, ah. But then Barbara does. Barbara has a line where she's she just is like, how do you not understand? Like, yeah. Well, I think everyone does understand. Like, everyone knows everyone's... Oh, yeah, that's chapter 11. Um, because there is that exchange between the doctor and Barbara about not changing history. But it is, and it doesn't happen on screen. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Because she says, yeah, I've learned. Believe me, I absolutely have learned about this. Ian was tempted to say that they didn't need to wait and see, but a warning glance from the doctor kept him silent. And it's somewhere along here because it's in my notes. There it is. There it is. It's on page 148. It's at the end of chapter 11. Barbara unexpectedly broke into a fit of giggling, which made her eyes water and her nose run. The doctor seized her arm and shook her, anxious to be on his way to rescue Susan. What on earth is the matter, young woman? he demanded. What do you find so very amusing, hmm? Barbara did her best to pull herself together. It's all this, all this activity to try to prevent something happening that we know is inevitable, she giggled, wiping her eyes. I mean, ropes here will be arrested and guillotined, whatever we do or don't do. Oh, it is a word. The doctor frowned as if he failed to see the joke. Of course, my dear, I've explained the situation to you often enough during our travels. We cannot change or influence history. Barbara instantly became serious. I learned that lesson during our visit to the Aztecs, she recalled wryly. The doctor led her firmly towards the door. Everything will take place just as it was recorded, he confirmed. We cannot influence the tide, but we can stop ourselves being swept away in the flood of events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the part I'm talking about, though, is they're talking to Jules and um, James Sterling, and they're, just, they're talking about events, and Sterling, Sterling stared fiercely into Barbara's eyes. If I were convinced it was the only way to prevent outright war between England and France, I'd have no choice, he confessed. Am I right, Jules? Jules Renan nodded unhappily and turned to Barbara. We need a strong government, but not a military dictatorship. He told her earnestly, and a military tyranny could happen. And Barbara says, but it will happen. She sits there and tells them to their face, I know what's going to happen. It's going to happen. She says, you can't change history. Well, and then the doctor says, 
yeah. we were trying to tell them, and they're, they're just not ready to hear it yet. Yeah. They're yeah. going to have to experience it for yeah. the... But so... The one guy kind of knew, like, once they knew it was Napoleon, he knew where it was going. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it's it's one of those things of where... It just sucks for the two people that are, like, the bourgeois and, or whatever, and they're, you know, in the middle, and they're not taking sides. Like, well, your side's about to be, like, even more... Yeah. Yeah. In the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It it would almost be like being at the uh, that White House correspondence dinner several years back <laughs> and seeing Donald Trump doing the slow burn, and thinking, you know, something bad is going to come of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And sure enough, it does. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Though. Yeah, Barbara, Barbara even telling she them even to their that, face, yeah. like, "This is going to happen." Yeah. And they're like, yeah. well, "Well, it's not like it's going to change anything." Right. Yeah, and she knows it isn't, but I, I love the fact that she has that fit of giggling. It's almost a yeah. hysterical yeah. reaction to it. It's, just, it's, like, it's finally yeah. like understanding, like, it really doesn't matter. It really matter. doesn't yeah. matter. Like, I can do yeah, anything so I want. Like, it's not going to happen anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Their whole yeah. trying to intervene thing isn't going to happen. No, certainly not. Okay, well, as we always yeah. do, <laughs> let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with our own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, simply read the book, write a review on Goodreads, and then write a comment on our Facebook page or our subreddit, which is still just sitting there pristine. It's that waiting. easy. It really is. It really is. So that we have a chance to see it before discussing the book ourselves. You may just get your review read out loud here. The average rating for this story, for this book, is out of five stars is 3.55, which is pretty high. Jay gave it three stars and said... Here we have another historical adventure with the Doctor and his companions, this time in late 18th century France at the end of the French Revolution. Unfortunately, the characters spend most of the book running between one form of captivity or another, and don't really interact with historical events or people until the end of the novel. Well, that's true. We do get some discussion of the nature of time travel in the story, which reiterates what was said in the Aztecs. Time is immutable and can't be changed by the TARDIS crew to suit their desires. Similarly, the Doctor finally admits he has really no idea where they're headed and doesn't really have control of the TARDIS, despite continued promises to get Ian and Barbara home. Although they do state multiple times their desire to see London 1963 again, the teachers have settled into their routine with the Doctor and have started to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Though I don't know how being put in a prison and almost dying because of rats and dysentery yeah. is a way of enjoying it. The most unsettling thing about this book is the author, Ian Martyr, himself an actor in the show in the 1970s, uses details that haven't been revealed in the ongoing text of the series. He often refers to the Doctor as a Time Lord, although at this point that hasn't been revealed. Likewise, the fact that Time Lords have two hearts is discussed when Susan is examined by a physician. And a couple of other instances that sort of ruined the text of these early adventures. Not a big thing, but it did take me out of the time frame a bit. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Leah gave it only two stars, saying, I do not like Ian Martyr as a writer. He tries to convey emotion, and it just comes off flat and monotone. The action has no pacing and is sometimes plain boring. I felt like his vocabulary came off as arrogant and condescending. I was, however, fascinated by the historically content, the historical content about the French Revolution. The Reign of Terror was a horrifying time in history. I was shocked. (laughs) So am I. 
pick up a history book. Yeah. Oh, don't do that to our readers on Goodreads. Well, it, she went by one name, so we don't know who she is. And finally, Daniel Kukwa, who we've heard from before, gives it the full five stars and says this, Hands down one of the best First Doctor novelizations, Ian Martyr demonstrates right from the start that he gets the Hartnell Doctor, and his aggressive writing style suits the violence of the revolution perfectly. The actual television episodes are almost tame by comparison. Okay? You can find that guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think you went first last time, so... Dalton, how many stars? Uh, What was your final thoughts, general? I'd probably go, like, four. Okay. Four out of five. I enjoyed it. It was easy to read. Like I said before, knowing a little bit about... French history helped me get through it. Um, it was suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Like Sheena said earlier, like I like spy novels. I like like espionage and things like that. So mm-hmm. feeling that kind of stuff going on where you're just like, I don't know who these people are, but mm-hmm. I want to keep reading. Um, yeah, it was really enjoyable to me. Um, I liked a lot of the details. I did not think that the vocabulary came off as arrogant and condescending. condescending. Uh there weren't any words that I didn't know. There right. weren't any words is, that I felt. Is that what that means? Like that she couldn't understand the words? I think so. Oh. I was shocked. Usually when, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought she was saying like his writing style was like more, I don't I, 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 he had a. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just saying like I wouldn't. Sorry, it's a much more ornate writing know, style like, than yeah, we've had before. Yeah, I wouldn't say any more. of the words. He, like, no. out of he used a lot no. of descriptors. He yeah. really like fleshed out yeah. the places mm-hmm. and the spaces Maybe and she just the meant people. The French words. I guess so. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it though. I the couple of the other historicals we've done what Marco Polo, Marco Polo. Aztecs would and Aztecs. would be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I felt like this one really like you felt like you were in the French Revolution. You felt like you were like there just like the oppressive heat he describes yeah. the moldy dungeons they're in the dripping water just all of it really like gave me this picture in my head yeah. of when and where they were the food that's like school lunches yes <laughs> that gruel they're talking about yeah. it's just like that's every production of oliver twist i've ever seen <laughs> um <laughs> yeah but like that's really Burn what the they would feed people it was exactly. like a soggy piece of bread in some gray watery mess true it's like just enough for you to live before we kill you <laughs> so yeah i enjoyed Good it times. Four stars. Yeah. <laughs> all right sheena <clears throat> okay so i'm not gonna go as high um, <laughs> i will say um i will agree i totally agree with um the one gentleman who gave a 3.0 mm-hmm. um but i will give it a 3.3 um just because i like the descriptiveness of it yeah um to me, this was not as breezy as a, of a read, and I think that's maybe because my mind kept wanting to, like, research other things and stuff like that. Um, certain parts of it were a little long-winded. Mm-hmm. Not going to say that's bad, like, it's not a total bad thing, right. but just in some places it was like, okay, let's get on with this a little, like, certain aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the way he described things. I do like that. Um, I do not like the fact that it has to do, like, on Earth in this time. I don't know. Maybe it's just a history thing. I don't know. Like, the Aztecs I liked, but then I didn't really give that a high score very much either. I like 
like I said, I like <laughs> I like the, the 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 stuff that I can't relate to because right. then I can just be immersed in the fact of I'm in a different place and you're learning yeah. new things. and I'm learning new <clears throat> things and there's other languages that aren't known and you know what I mean like the unknown to me is more interesting yeah. than the known, I guess. Okay. But I mean that I would say three point three, and right. I do like his writing style. I just yeah. maybe maybe this book to me was uh, I don't know. It was a maybe I went into it already thinking I wouldn't want to right. read it, and then I read it, and then I was surprisingly taken by his writing style. Yeah, I would say. Okay, I I feel much the same way because <clears throat> obviously you you and I both don't like historicals. I'm not very fond of them myself. And yet, this book, this is one of the few books that we've done that I read as an adult because I didn't get a copy of it until long after I was a teenager. And come to think of this, this may be my first time reading it. I'm not even sure that I did read it the first time. But yeah, it's like, yeah, this is, I'm personally very fond of Ian Martyr as a writer. I love the way he innovates on this story. It makes it far more enjoyable than the televised version, which literally See, if, put me to sleep. And if I would have watched the televised version, I probably would give it a little bit better of a... You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I would, I would appreciate it more, I think. Yeah, there's more to appreciate because yeah. you realize... Yeah. The yeah, yeah. You realize how much he added to it, and he really has added so much to it. It's amazing when you get a talented writer coupled with a mediocre story because mm-hmm. then they can just kind of make it so it's much the better. That's typically what happens. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Most people <clears throat> like the TV... Well, I like book versions, but most people like the TV stuff. Right. I kind of wish Robinson... Uh, I'm sorry, that Martyr could have done the Censorites rather than Robinson, to be honest, because I, I wonder what he would have done with it. He probably would have given the Censorites a sex life. But uh, granted, all those references to the Doctor as a Time Lord, his two hearts, his acid mucus, and so on, are so completely out of place here. But I do love how truly unearthly he makes Susan, so much so that I'd much prefer to read stories with this Susan than the one that we've been suffering with all this time. I also like how much more attention he pays to the historical events, making this novel even more educational about that period than the televised version. It still seems to assume that we all know what he's, what's happening and why. I even like the business of everyone having to speak French, though it flies completely in the face of what's been established since and before. But I'd much rather have a writer who writes well and either gets some details wrong or decides to play with them a bit than a poor writer who sticks closely to the continuity of the script. And we're going to be getting some of those, unfortunately. This one, for me, is one of the better ones. It's a 4.2 out of 5. Mm. All right. I think that's the highest you've gone. Is it? No. <clears throat> I don't think so, because the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You weren't here I for the Daleks. Here. You weren't here for the Daleks. Yeah. Well, you should go back and <laughs> listen to it then. <laughs> we need views. We need we listens. Like the we should go back who to that one. Who well, five, no, it's a five out of five. Oh, bite me. You should No, I'm saying you book. like the Daleks. Who would have thought? Of course I love the Daleks, but I also love... Well, you. <laughs> no, he's teasing me now. All right, well, thank you guys, except for you, Dalton. Uh. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we get a double dicking. Terrence Dix, that is. <laughs> He'll be writing the next two books we read, so we get double the dicks. Starting with Doctor Who and the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Don't you dare say a word. Yes, I love Daleks. 
I didn't say it was a bad thing. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and did I promise way back in episode one we'd have lots of dick jokes eventually? Yes. And we will. Here we go. <clears throat> we will. <clears throat> in the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook. If you haven't comment on that page or you think there's something we missed here, or you just want to tell us that you like us in your words, or you want to do it in our brand new subreddit, You'll be entered in our next Target book giveaway, yeah, because we still are waiting. This time, some lucky fan randomly picked by me will get a gently used copy of Doctor Who and the War Games. Don't worry, it's a different copy. Yeah, I know we've given that one away before, but we had two copies of it. <laughs> Check out our Facebook page at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all one word with no spaces. For more details, you can visit our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc and if you leave a comment there you're also eligible for the book giveaway also feel free to give us a thumbs up on youtube follow us on twitter we're at dwtargetbc or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice we're on itunes soundcloud stitcher and tune in i got them all for this time if you really like us or if you really really don't like us post your comments suggestions questions on any or all of those platforms or email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels Bye-bye. bye 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 guys, bye guys. Yeah.